0: business, driving late at night, Psycho 78, 12 o'clock, don't be late, I said all this horror business, my mirrors are
1: black for you. Greetings and salutations, my name is Justin Lore. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. Okay, this is episode 99, motherfuckers, so if you didn't come to party, don't bother knocking at our door. But still subscribe and rate this episode, please.
0: (laughs) I liked that. That was pretty good, actually.
1: Today, we are talking about two films from 1988. One film which I actually rather enjoyed. And the other film which I found a morbid enjoyment in watching. We're going to be talking about about 1988's Dream Demons. Our Dream Demon. Yeah. And 1988's... Don't panic? Was it
0: was it under any other name? Mhm. It's originally a Spanish release, so there's a Spanish name, but I don't know what it is. It's um Sorry, people people would know. If yeah, it's probably on the IMDb, but I the, it <coughs> it's a Mexican a Mexican production, but they did film it in English so that they could release it in the States as well. I don't know that it got a wide release in the States. I think it actually only got a theatrical release in Mexico, but it was made to be released in both countries. Interesting. Yeah, but it's a Mexican production. Everyone in it is Mexican. Um, And in fact, a lot of the people in it were uh, soap opera, uh, you know, like Mexican soap actors, because they also spoke a lot of English, and they needed people who could... uh, Well, I mean, it was all dubbed later, but they needed to be able to speak English on set so that it would be easy to dub it in. Wait, the
1: main character... Was
0: that's a He's a Mexican actor. Yeah, man. Have you ever actually watched Telemundo? No, his name is John Michael Bischoff. I know, but he's uh, well. Okay, let's be clear here. He might have been connected to somebody uh, through you know uh, people going across the border, but he had to speak Spanish because the director at the time spoke Spanish. So some in some way he was able to communicate.
1: So what you're saying is is that an actor in that film had to be able to understand what the director was saying because you could have fooled me. You could have fooled me.
0: <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. I mean, I will say I will say that well, we're gonna get into it, but um, the the dialogue was like very cheaply translated, you know, it was, it was all written in Spanish and then no. haphazardly translated no. into English. No, Stop. You, don't you know say. what, you know what, you know what, let's 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 give people a little bit of an, of an intro here to this. Um, we basically picked two movies that we hadn't seen before. One is a uh, Arrow release, which I don't actually know how old that release is on Arrow. I caught it on the Arrow channel on Roku. Um, okay, I'm not sure when the Blue came out. Pro- not that long ago, I'm sure, but it, you know, it's it's relatively recent. And Don't Panic is a Vinegar Syndrome release that came out. Last month, I think, like very recently, like very very yeah. recent release, and uh the director has a they have a bunch of movies they're releasing from this director his this is his second film, his film before this, I think is all in Spanish and has a spanish name um something about cemeteries something i don't know i don't I don't remember, but I don't have it either so uh whatever we'll we'll get into it, but suffice to say this was sort of our catch up with recent releases uh episode, yes. And I didn't know they were both from 1988. I literally picked them. I have the Don't Panic Blu-ray, so I picked that one. And then I just went on the Arrow channel was like, oh, this looks cool. Let's do that one. And then it turns out they're from the same year. Interesting. You know what else came out in 1988?
1: What? We're not in this alone. I'm I not... want to I I go on record and say that that record is better than both of these movies.
0: <sighs> I mean, uh, in theory, I agree with you. Okay. You know, I don't want to get into this because, you know, I have an issue with my man's voice. You do. Yeah. I don't know why, but you do. I don't I don't think he's a great vocalist. I don't like his anyway. vocals anyway. But those riffs are pretty good, though. That's a pretty good record. Yes. Yes.
1: But before we dive deeper into the world of Liam's poor taste in music and films, Shut we, the fuck. we would like to thank the people responsible for bringing this episode to life. And that's you. Our Patreon subscribers, thank you so 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 freaking much for 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 toiling uh, forty to fifty to sixty maybe seventy hours a week. It is whatever that you do, and and and, and the sweat from your brow darkens the uh, the the concrete floor of the warehouse that I'm assuming you do hard labor in. Sure. Um, um and the the wood chips from the t- trees that you chop down at your lumberjack job they drop down your shirt and they they cause you great distress thank you for 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 taking your 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 cash the sweat from your brow and the the fucking fruits of your labor and putting it towards our patreon we appreciate it so much because look we don't make money on this podcast and that's totally fine because like i've said too many times money is an illusion it's not real money it's just a fucking number that someone made up and we've all collectively agreed uh, to, to to just adhere to but it's not real but we do need it this imaginary thing to run this podcast network um and you guys help with that so we are eternally grateful um if you're interested in becoming a patron you can hit the www.patreon.com backslash CinePunks for more, for more information. You just go there and there's all these different tiers of subscription tiers that you can just subscribe to to help us out in any way that you, you want to. Um, so yeah, patreon.com backslash CinePunks for more information. Now, Liam, if I said to you, I want to get a shirt made that... Somehow related the Max Headroom incident to friend of the podcast, Evan Vallela's obsession with Max Headroom in his in, in, when he was in when he was in elementary school, some kind of like Evan Valella headroom or something like that. Um, if I wanted to get a T-shirt made with Evan Valella as Max Headroom on it. Sure. Where would I go to get that T-shirt made?
0: Uh, you would go to the fine folks at Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations, xlvacx dot uh, and they can help you with your horrible idea and your shitty designs, and uh, really print something that was worth buying despite your crappy efforts.
1: Yeah, this whatever 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 inane bullshit you 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 and by you I mean me can come up with whatever fucking cockamamie nonsense comes out of your dumb fucking mouth as an idea for your your fucking band. Like, you know, your cool band, whatever band you're in, um, whatever podcast that you do, whatever it is, whatever fucking garbage you do to get get to the day faster.
0: You're bad. You're fucking bad. You're you're
1: fucking, you know, you're you're whatever, whatever it is, (laughs) whatever fucking gets you, whatever, whatever helps you get one day closer to the waiting, yawning abyss of the grave. The fine folks that we have at Valley Apparel Creations will help you put that fucking garbage onto a t-shirt, onto a thong, onto underwear, onto a fucking tightsy, onto a basketball jersey, onto some sort of cloak or or Jedi cape, whatever it is you need, they can do it. So if if any of the fucking half-formed gibberish that came out of my mouth just now interest you. You can head to www.xlvacx.com. That's www.xlvacx.com. Chris Reject is a good dude, and that's all I'll say. Wow. Wow. Who else do we have to thank on this glorious April evening?
0: Our friends at EssexCoffeeRoasters.com. You all know Aaron Dahlbeck from his time in... um Oh, my brain just shut down. Bane and Converge and... um, What is his new band called? Why did my brain just deny me that information? Be Well. Be Well. Think, thank you. I think he you, did
1: Time in Ten Yard Fight.
0: Yeah, I think that's true too. Anyways, you know him as a musician, but uh, he also, uh, besides also designing websites, by the way, uh, roasts coffee. And he has this uh, business where he roasts coffee to two orders. So it's as fresh as possible. He finds uh, just the highest quality beans and he offers a, a sort of stance as a business that is designed to demystify quality coffee for you. So, you know, I know a lot of people who their attitude on coffee is, I don't have time for all that fancy whatever. You know, I'll just, I'm a simple guy. I'll take it as simple as possible or gal. Yeah. I don't want to be gendered about this. Uh, and, and really what you're saying is, I don't care about the quality of what I'm drinking. And I think that that attitude actually comes from a place of feeling like, why is this all so complicated? It's just coffee. And what I think Aaron does is try to get you the best quality coffee with the most variety of flavors available while not making it feel like some pretentious bullshit. But that's basically the goal here is how do we help people get good coffee without having them... Need to feel like they need to be some sort of like coffee expert. You don't. They demystify it for you. Same thing with tea, they have fine tea there as well, uh, and a bunch of great merch. As part of our relationship with Access Coffee Roasters, if you go to their website right now and you order, let's say you want to order their Mexican, uh, they have a Mexican uh, uh, variety right now that's very good. Um, They have a a couple from Honduras that are good. Or maybe you want to, maybe you're in a whole other direction. You want to get their chai tea or even just something like a t shirt or a hoodie. On your way out, you're going to put in the code Cinepunks, C I N E P U N X, and that's going to give you 10% off of your order. You can't go wrong with that. So head you over can't. to EssexCoffeeRoasters.com, get some stuff.
1: So, Liam, what you're saying is that when I go to Starbucks and I get my drip coffee and Ugh. I don't. I, OK, when I get coffee, wherever it is, that I get coffee. When I you, go to Dunkies and get my Dunkies.
0: OK, that's better than Starbucks.
1: And I just get it black. And I don't put anything in it. And I just say, "Give me coffee." What you're saying is that comes from a place of fear. You're saying that I'm afraid.
0: Yeah, I'm okay with that. I mean, I, I'm saying that about you.
1: <laughs> I, don't I know accept. If I'm that. saying that
0: about everyone. No, I'm no, not, no. I'm I not sure. That. I'm not sure what you do that doesn't come from a place of fear.
1: 100% reasonable thing to say about me. <laughs> all right, now comes the time in the podcast that mm-hmm. we've all been waiting for. When <laughs> when when I when I wake up, <laughs> when I wake up in my bedroom and I'm <laughs> I'm wearing dinosaur pajamas and I have blood all over my face and my eyes are red and I, I look around and I can't see and I call it for my mother, mother. But my mother is in the next room, drunk as a lord on fucking payday, mm-hmm. unable to help me. And I'm, I'm, I see through my eyes. I don't see my room with its childish tchotchkes and knickknacks everywhere. Instead, I see through the eyes of a killer. And I shout for some fucking like a rock to stand on in this sea of madness. I shout, Liam, what have you done involving Har recently?
0: <laughs> this is going to be a this is going to be a rough episode. I feel like I feel like you're really going to come at me during dope Panic, and I'm going to lash no,
1: out. I'm not going to come at you. I promise on the straight edge. I promise I won't come at you.
0: All right. We're going to start then with something else that we'll disagree on, which is uh, one of the things I did related to horror was I watched uh, Godzilla versus Kong. Okay. Um, Which, which side note probably should have been renamed Kong versus Godzilla, but whatever, it's fine. Godzilla versus Kong. And, uh, I, you know, it's a real mixed bag. It was a real mixed bag. Um, at some level, when the big chonky boys fight, that's fun. And I get that for some people, that in and of itself is not enough to be fun. But then this movie's not for you. The, 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 the the, the boys, the, the, the boys or the ladies, whoever they are, the big old monstros, they start getting in a fight, it's a good time. And this movie does have a, a, a good amount of monster fighting. So that's, you know, cool. That's fun. Um, However, it also has a lot of not monster fighting. And I found the not monster fighting in this movie far more painful than the not monster fighting in most of the other movies. Though, I I think people are of a mixed mind about the first Godzilla. Some people love the first Godzilla and think it all works. I just, I thought the whole, like, going with the soldiers to see what they're doing thing was kind of a bummer. I wasn't too stoked on that. But, uh... You know, the, 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 I felt like the characterization in the film of the humans was bad. And so, you know, then, of course, the response, and I saw this from a lot of people, was like, we'll just get it out of there. You know, we'll just have nothing but monsters fighting. But I don't feel like they figured out how to tell a story. Like, as cool as the monster fighting was, there wasn't really that much, like, plot advancement in those until the last like third where in which you know there's a lot of monster fighting and that's where the plot was working out but for the first two-thirds of the movie all the plot is in the human bits and all the information is in the human bits and then it's just chunks of monster fights some of which i thought were fun and some Mm -hmm. of which were for my taste a little anticlimactic um uh you know uh, interesting ideas like okay you know kong is stuck on a boat cool that's great. But they just didn't quite figure out how to make that fun for me, and I and I didn't find it as fun. And I think I was ready to write the whole movie off as I was watching it, like, I'm really not getting sucked in here. But then I felt like towards the end, when it was like straight monster fighting, some of that was, was actually pretty fun. And ironically, that made me more frustrated with the other parts of the movie then, because it's like, well, it's not that the whole movie isn't working, it's that they haven't figured out how to make – the beginning, you know, they need to tell you a lot of information, and they're and they're not quite sure how to do it well. And then there's just little things that I'm sure other people don't care about, but kind of annoy me. I I don't like the decision that we were like, this is a new age of Godzilla, and so we don't need to hear the iconic, actually trademarked Godzilla, you know, roar. We don't need to hear that because this is a new this is a new Godzilla, and I'm like, I guess, but it's no. Not they, as cool.
1: they, did they, did they not have that roar? No
0: no roar no godzilla theme song it's like this is the this is the thing like we're not i mean and and especially the roar cuz i think they use the roar in the other movies right like they
1: def- they absolutely yeah,
0: did no roar in this movie i mean i'll rewatch it and see but i didn't i specifically noticed no roar and i thought i read somewhere that he, that was a decision the director made was like well we're going to move on new age of godzilla whatever and i usually like this director too so that was the, my other frustration but um Anyways, it's not terrible, and I think if I saw it in the theater, that last third would have been even more cool, because that's mostly what it is, is the spectacle of it all. But I just, I felt, I, you know, a lot of people didn't like it, but I thought uh, King of the Monsters, though I didn't think it was, you know, perfect, I actually thought some of the human stuff in King of the Monsters wasn't terrible. And at the very minimum, I forget her actual name, but Eleven from uh, Stranger Things. What is her actual yeah. name? Millie Billy... Yep. Millie God, it's Bobby something or something?
1: Millie Bobby... Br- I want to say Millie Bobby Brown, but it's not that.
0: Okay. Anyways, she actually has a character. Now, maybe you didn't like her character in that movie, but she exists. She's a person. And in this movie, she was just kind of like along for the ride she doesn't do much but react to things and then like a couple times whine at her dad uh who also you know coach chandler is not given a lot to do other than to look worried
1: they they literally exist in this film merely to tie it to the prior one that is the
0: only reason they're in this movie it's 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 annoying to me and and honestly i also like i don't quite get the idea to say like okay how are we going to do this well the way we're going to do it is Kong is cool, and Godzilla may or may not be cool, and we'll resolve that at the end. And it really feels more like a Kong movie. And I get that part of that might be because they're going to bring Godzilla back. Like I I get the feeling they're going to cash in on Godzilla into the future, but like, this is probably it for Kong. We're probably not getting another Kong movie. So maybe this was like, we're saying goodbye to Kong. We're sunsetting Kong um, so that we can have other movies about Godzilla into the future. And yet, The movie's called Godzilla versus Kong, which suggests that it's more of a Godzilla movie. And and I just felt like that's not what it is. And, you know, I was I was definitely pulling going into seeing the movie. I was pulling for Kong. You know, obviously the character who doesn't have nuclear breath is at a bit of a disadvantage (laughs) in the fight. But the movie pulls for him so fucking hard. And then, you know, the big reveal at the end, which I won't spoil for people, is pretty cool, but I don't know. It just it, it didn't quite work for me. Um again though, like if I did have the opportunity to go to a movie theater when it's safe to again and see this thing, I probably would still go see it though. Like as much as I didn't love it, I also didn't hate it. I just think like uh, the thing I want to push back against is the folks who I saw there were a lot of people who I think also were dissatisfied with the human bits, but they're just like, oh well, who cares? Like that's just how it has to be. And I'm not convinced that that's true. Like I think that those human bits could either be lessened so that there was more plot during the fighting, or better. Like I don't think just because there are kaiju, the humans have to suck. I I just don't know that that's true. And I could be wrong, but that I just I don't know that I have to make that trade.
1: No, I um it. There was things I didn't like about it, but it met my expectations and it was exactly what I wanted it to be. So I, you know, I enjoyed it. Um, I will say that my biggest problem with it was I I think you kind of touched upon it with was like, okay, we we had two movies now where Godzilla is the sort of like benevolent, uh, weird force of nature that like looks over us. Um, and now he's just like like they 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 sort of explain why he's doing all this shit. but it's like wh- why why is you know like I don't know, it, it just felt half hearted.
0: I think it would be fair if someone pointed out well, there's not a lot of continuity between the original Godzilla movies, but I don't think that works here because a lot of times these are the same not exactly, but very similar creative teams, right? Whereas they in are. some of those older movies, it was you know who knew if there was going to be another one or not you know what i mean like yeah. i i just think it's i think it would have been possible to create a little more continuity and you know maybe some of that dialogue could have been written wittily and delivered by humans or not i don't fucking know you know maybe maybe it was a let's show not tell situation um and and, and don't get me wrong like i think probably a lot of viewers had a sense of Oh, I bet it's because he feels threatened by this company. Like, there is hints of that. Like, it's not completely. Yeah. yeah. But it is just, there's such a big switch. And that the fact that no one has any sympathy. Like, everyone's like, oh, well, he blew up a factory. So I guess Godzilla's bad now. So now we have to murder him. And it's like, wait, is that, that's how we're going to be, y'all? Like, we just are, everyone's ready to do it.
1: They also went out of their way to make, um, to make Godzilla look even more threatening than usual. Yeah. Like the, his features, color palette, uh, the lighting. And they, they also, uh, on the flip side of that, they went out their way to make like, there are scenes when they're, they're like Kong fucking bows to no one. He's not afraid of anyone. But like when he and Godzilla first meet, like Kong is like, if he had pants, he would be shitting in them. Which I get, like, it's, it, 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 it's sort of like, it was, uh, it tugged at the right places that it was supposed to tug at with, with me anyway. I was like, fuck, I hope he's okay. But like the first act of the movie is them being like, oh, Kong is not the guy to fuck with. And you're like, yeah, but what if he is like when they show Godzilla, you're like, yeah, he totally is. And it just, I don't know. It just, it felt like, um, I don't know. it, It, it felt like that was i don't i don't want to say it was a bad choice but it felt like they were very clearly making this about you know you're supposed to root for king kong and uh they didn't just have the guts to fucking say that
0: yeah and and and, and honestly i don't like that decision i like i think this movie's more interesting if it's just like you know, uh, a a more equal, you know, battle, or if it's unclear that we're supposed to be rooting for anyone in particular, you know what I mean? I don't know. I, again, it's not, I I don't want to be too critical on it because I, I think, I don't think it was bad, bad, but I just think like, uh, I just wish they had made a few different decisions because I think there's, underneath the surface, there's still, like, some cool stuff going on that would be neat to see that certainly, for me, is preferable to some of the older Godzilla things. Yeah,
1: I mean, I've long said that Godzilla is at his best um, when he's completely unknowable. Like, the best Godzilla movies to me are the ones where the, the more unknowable he is, the better, and when you start to attribute any sort of like menace or benevolence to them, it loses a little something. And this movie suffers from that. And I don't, it just, yeah. Like you said, I mean, it would have been great if they just had these like monsters, like they just started fucking fighting and no one knew why, like that would be a much better movie than like, well, you know, their rivalry, uh, Kong Teen monkey. Like, I don't, I don't
0: know. It's weird. It it just it's not terrible, but I just it wasn't my favorite.
1: Uh I also hate the fact that one of the characters we're supposed to root for is a conspiracy theorist. That made me so fucking angry.
0: I don't hate that, but I certainly don't and I, and I what I don't like is that he's also the uh he's supposed to be like the comedic Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the 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 comedic distraction of the film and it's he's not funny. Like no. and, I, and I don't think that's on him I don't think he's given anything funny to say or do but they're like well if he just like sort of bumbles around that's funny and I'm like no, it's all, not though
1: all the shit that was supposed to be funny they're like oh he carries a thing a, a, a flask of, you know why why got that flask of whiskey and when he explains it and you're like I, I think that was supposed to be like like uh, adding levity but it's just a bummer it's just fucking sad
0: yeah yeah anyway so yeah you know Godzilla versus Kong. I, I I certainly wouldn't try to talk anyone out of seeing it, but I didn't love it. Um, which again, I I wanted, I really wanted to. Uh, I also watched a little movie called Honeydew. Have you seen this yet? Yeah, I watched it uh, when it was. I watched it for Nightstream. Oh yeah, okay. What did you think of Honeydew? I think we probably talked about this before, but I just wanted to check in. It made me very
1: uncomfortable in a yes. way that I'm not comfortable with.
0: <laughs> yes. That is the perfect description in my mind. That is how I felt as well, and I don't um, I I don't know if I think it's good or bad. Which is yeah. which I well I guess that's not true. I think it's good uh, because I think it's seeking to make me as uncomfortable as I felt. But I don't know if that uncomfortableness is part of like artistry. And or entertainment, or if it's only an exercise in making me feel bad, uh, I'm leaning towards it's it, it's probably pretty good. And and for our listeners, for whom something that is gross and icky is like attractive to you, this is probably something you might enjoy. But who, who, boy, it's it's a lot. There's a lot there, um, and it's not a gore thing, you know. No, it's it's a whole other vibe that I don't want to ruin for you. But let's just say it's it's gross. It's gross in a whole different way. So, yeah, uh, I watched that. That, you know, severely bummed me out. I also watched. Uh, is it Rose Plays Julia? Yes. Yes. Rose uh, Plays Julie. Julie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's not a horror movie per se. It definitely has horror movie elements, though. Uh, it's more of like a bummer drama, I guess. But ooh man, did it? But it, it it did its job. It bummed me out. Uh, oh so, yeah. So in a sense, it's you know I I I think it would still apply to some of our audience, and uh, I highly recommend. It. I think it was very well done. Um, did I already talk about Violation on here? I don't believe so. No. Oh, did you see Violation? I have not. Oh man, so Violation is another uncomfortable under the skin sort of movie. It uh does deal very frankly and directly with sexual assault. So I would put a big old content warning on that one. Uh, I
1: I would probably throw in a content warning on Rose Plays Julie as well. Just be safe.
0: Definitely, definitely, definitely. That's true. Um, um, Yeah, that's actually why I thought of Violation. Because I was going to make the comparison of like, uh, Violation is not the same movie. It is more of a, I guess you would say, a rape revenge movie. However, the uh, r- unlike most rape revenge movies in which uh, the the uh, assault is like over the top uh, exploitative caricature, this is like realistic bad thing that could happen to someone you thought you were friends with. you know what I mean? Ugh, yeah and and, and 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 then similarly, the revenge is not also over the top and exploitative. It is how a real person who isn't psychotic could possibly think of trying to get their revenge. So it's uncomfortable and it's poorly executed, which makes it even more uncomfortable and and gross. It's not like a bloody movie, and yet it makes you feel very, very gross and very, very bad, which is sort of the point. Uh, And so uh, in a way, all three of these movies are deep in the uncomfortable zone. But whereas Honeydew is possibly fucking with you in a way that the people making the movie are having fun. Um, I would, I would fully buy that no one making violation was trying to have fun or even thinking about entertainment. It is a film that I uh, suspect comes from a place of experience. um, And it is a film that is very angry and it is almost as much about the ways that we don't want to hear the truth about what people are like and what they're capable of doing even more than it is about either of the big events. You know, the big events are the violation and then the comeuppance for the violation. But that's not really what the movie's about. The movie's more about how hard it is to get people to see the truth. That's really the horror of the film more than the other uncomfortable things. It's brilliant, but I would put it the trigger warning on this movie uh, eclipses Rose Plays Julie or, uh, you know, I don't know that you need a trigger warning on Honeydew, but no. the, the uncomfortable things in this movie make the other two movies seem almost pleasant. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, in in my mind, some people might find the drama, there's a lot of emotional drama in Rose Plays Julie, and maybe that's more affecting for you. But, I mean, if, if someone who someone who was usually inclined towards extreme cinema said that they couldn't finish Violation, I would not be surprised or even, you know, I certainly wouldn't judge them for that. Like, I think Violation is asking a lot of you, but it's doing it unlike those classic 70s movies, like, you know, a movie like, uh, you know, uh, I Spit on Your Grave. That movie is clearly also trying to give you an exploitive piece of entertainment as well, um, and I think failing to take its subject particularly seriously, though over time some people have reclaimed it and said that it does do that. For my taste, it does not. Violation <laughs> is the opposite in every fucking way. It is taking its subject very fucking seriously, and it's doing its best to show you something that is um in taking the trauma and the the the, the sheer stark awfulness of this event seriously the film flirts with almost being supernatural because it uses abstract imagery at times to express how uncomfortable things are like how emotionally psychologically taxing this whole thing is Um, and it even kind of uses a bit of a chopped up narrative I, I don't think it's hard to follow but it doesn't show you everything at once it kind of cuts back and forth in time and I found that extremely helpful if also effective at making me very sad and unhappy. So, you know, you gotta be in a place for it. I think for those people who are very much able to watch this sort of thing, I don't think you're gonna watch it and say, oh, this film treated this subject in a unfair manner. Um, but I think that in treating it so fairly and taking it so seriously, this might be way too much for some people. And it's it's just on Shudder. And it's I don't know that it's being marketed in a way that's clear- what an extreme experience it is. So I would caution folks for whom this is not a subject that they feel comfortable dealing with. Cause I think it could really weigh pretty heavily.
1: Interesting. I, well, I appreciate that, uh, that thorough dissection of it. And I also appreciate you, um, letting people know ahead of time that it might be a little much.
0: Yeah, I mean, normally I wouldn't even say, you know, you could say make saying the film is a is a is a film that involves revenge is a bit of a spoiler, but I think I have to say that so that people know exactly what they're in for. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I don't want to spoil any of the specifics of what happens in the film, but I think, um, in a sense, though, I think in the first five minutes you kind of know everything that's going to happen. Uh, maybe not in specifics, but you generally get a feeling, and that's part of what makes the movie so heavy the whole watch. Because <laughs> you're just waiting, you're just waiting for it, and it's uh, it's difficult. So, anyways, uh, and that's it. That's all I did recently revolving horror.
1: Uh, I haven't done anything revolving horror recently. My life is a barren wasteland of of horror. <laughs> oh, that's Stop. not true. No, no I, I honestly haven't. I honestly haven't. I haven't watched anything. Um, I I mean, the season finale of The Walking Dead was amazing, but that's whatever. Um, As you know, Liam, from the voicemail I left you, the ending of the first episode of Invincible was something of a fucking horror show for me.
0: (laughs) It it did get the Invincible is getting to the the meat of the matter a little quickly. And I, you know, I I wonder how many people are going to be able to ride with it getting so dramatic so quickly.
1: Uh, friend of the podcast, Donnie Mutt, texted me today and he was like, Yo, Omni Man's not going to kill Invincible's mom, is he? And I was like, I'm not saying a fucking word. He's like, That's, That better not happen. Just like, you know, eh, I,
0: I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, and I think, you, you know, I think the show is also uh, trying to make it clear that this is not exactly the comic books, you know, yes. which is good yes. because Kirkman got so much backlash when he was doing The Walking Dead, and The Walking Dead wasn't the comic books. So I think he wants to make it clear, like, hey, this is a similar thing. We're not doing everything the same. But so far, things have been similar enough that I definitely have a sense of foreboding over where we're
1: headed. If by foreboding, do you mean it makes you feel sick to your stomach when you think about?
0: No, I don't think I have as deep an emotional reaction as that. Um, uh, But other aspects do. I actually, maybe this is because I, I have different sorts of issues, but I feel as uncomfortable thinking about the future of Cecil and the future of robot as I do about Omni-Man, um, especially because they're already sort of front loading those things. And I'm like, Oh God, Oh God, that's Oh no. Okay.
1: Yeah. Uh, we don't have fucking four hours to talk about this on this podcast. Um, but so, so yeah, it it
0: to say, I think, if you like comic book shit, you should probably watch Invincible. I think you would yeah. like it. It gets the
1: hard business stamp of approval.
0: Um, so far, it could it could still jump the shark, but right now it's doing pretty good.
1: Yeah. Um, other than that, yeah, man, I, I haven't really – I reread Jurassic Park a few days ago just for shits and giggles. Um, that's horror-ish. You know, it's – guy gets disemboweled and gets his head bit off. That's pretty scary. I feel you. Other than that, yeah i i haven't i haven't done anything because i'm well, a fucking
0: i'm sure that'll change soon because drive in season is raring back up so soon enough you'll be regaling me with stories from the drive in while i am still just sitting in my house like a hermit
1: oh, god damn it liam i'm just
0: saying. i do get
1: i do get i do get my second shot on friday so soon i'll be um, immortal right um generating five g to the to the masses.
0: Mm-hmm. Yo, when my dick is a five G antenna, the world is going to be sick, dude. I can't wait. Now, since
1: this is clearly a George Soros funded conspiracy, I was wondering: are they going to give me a yamaka
0: when they get my second dose? I like that. I like that. That was good. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, I read my, I read my Antifa newsletter and didn't say specifically. Yeah. You know. Well, j- just to be safe, I've, I've been,
1: I've been boning up on my. Um, like I, I greeted my Jewish friends on Passover. I wish them all I, – I don't know it now. I should know it because I'm going to be Jewish soon. Uh, I, I wish them all um, happy Passover in, in Yiddish. And friend of the podcast, Dave Janice, was very helpful in adding – in helping me with the uh, informal tone to make it the informal uh, – you know how like Spanish has like – you use this verb with oh, like – Yeah, 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 yeah. He, he's so helpful that he helped me. He told me the proper way to say it to someone – of equal social standing. So it makes them feel more welcome. So I'm ready. You know, I'm fucking ready. So I guess we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about 1988. We're going to talk about Liam's favorite movie ever. He fucking loves this movie. This is if, 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 if this movie was a person, Liam would marry it. Okay that's the most shit I'm gonna give you. I just had to get that out. I've been like <laughs> I' I've been waiting I have been waiting since our conversation about this movie to fucking say that. So that's that's all I'm gonna say about that. We're gonna when we come back, we're gonna talk about 1988s Don't Panic. Classic film. Classic film.
0: <laughs> so are you ready, Michael? Yeah. One, two, two, two,
1: three. three. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Promise never to play with the Ouija board again.
0: Hey, you guys. Maybe he's right. We shouldn't play this game.
1: Tony, <laughs> and we are back to talk about 1988's "Don't Panic." Um, this is a movie that exists. <laughs> Who directed it, Justin? Let me bring up IMDb so I can tell you.
0: Oh, you usually have that queued up. I just... No, no. I, I,
1: it was directed by Ruben Gallindo Jr., starring John Michael Bischoff, Gabriel Hassel, Helena Roja. And... Uh, there's... There's no way I can say these, like... These names without coming off as, like, a condescending hassle, so I won't.
0: Um, <laughs> oh, man.
1: yeah. Fine. Jorge Luke, Juan Ignacio no, you Aranda. You don't have to. Eduardo Noriega as Fred. Um the thing, okay. The thing I appreciate about this movie is uh I texted Liam and I said this movie was a chore to get through. Um I rewatched it and upon rewatch, I will admit that while Knowing what to expect, um, I can my my opinion has softened a little bit. Um, I can appreciate the fact that this movie is just a labor of love, and I'm not trying to be like, you know, that's that isn't like the southern like bless your heart. I like the fact that this movie is like kind of marketed it as like an evil Ouija board movie, um, when in reality the Ouija board is like barely in the movie. Sure, I also like the fact, and I didn't really catch this on the first time because I was too busy being a fucking jerk off while watching this movie. Um, this movie kind of feels like a like a like a like a quasi giallo film to me.
0: Yeah, I think it definitely borrows some from that tradition. Uh,
1: yeah, I mean it. it, it I almost lament the fact that there was any like supernatural – I mean I guess for the very premise of the work, there had to be some kind of like supernatural premise involved with it. But I almost wish they went a little bit lighter on the supernatural part of it because I think this movie would have made a would have made a really great slasher um, if they just toned down the, uh, the supernatural parts of it.
0: So I just want to mention really quickly, uh, some people might know this director – his first this is actually his third film it's his first film in english though his first movie is called cemetery of terror which i've definitely uh heard of before and i think might have been also released on vinegar syndrome then he made a movie called an amigo Sam muerte which which means uh, friend of death yeah there you go then don't panic and then after don't panic in 1989 he made a movie called grave robbers which has, a, uh, has a, a Spanish name as well, uh, Ladrones de Tumbras, or something like that. So, um,
1: Also starring John Michael Bischoff. Of
0: and this that film. movie was also released on Vinegar Syndrome. And uh, my feeling on Don't Panic is I enjoyed it enough, I'm probably going to buy Grave Robbers because I want to see it. Yeah. <laughs> um, Yeah, so, you know, the only insight I have beyond what Justin has is that there was an interview with the director on the Blu-ray, and I really got a feel from him uh, watching it that this movie was born out of two things. One, it was an interest in horror, that he's a big fan of horror films, and though he... um, Uh, couldn't go to film school. He did like an internship program at a film school where he got to study some stuff. And uh, while he was doing that, sort of got this idea of like, you know, I could make horror films, whatever, whatever. Um, And in that interview, he talked about how even though he's fascinated by horror films and he loves horror directors, he actually um, thinks that horror movies can be too scary that like you could have a horror film that like becomes less fun because it's too actually scary. And so he intentionally tried to make this film a little bit fun. And my favorite part of the int- of, of the interview was him saying now there are some jokes in the film that fly and then there are some jokes that don't fly. And now some whatever years later there's also parts of the movie that are funny which were not meant to be funny. However, the whole thing was meant to have a lighthearted feeling. Hence, our man wearing those ridiculous dinosaur pajamas.
1: <laughs> Which I had as a child. I fucking yeah. had those as a child.
0: Well, and you can have them now, too, because when they released this movie, Vinegar Syndrome, made their own version of the pajamas for people to wear. So I guess a lot of people bought those pajamas. I did not. I had not seen the movie. Uh,
1: I'm going to try and track those down and just wear them yeah. every fucking chance I get. <laughs>
0: um, so, I, you know, there was a real feeling he wanted to make it fun. Side note. Uh, He also said when the movie came out in Mexico that there was a big backlash uh, for the opposite reason, I think, of why I think the movie's fun and why you were a little bummed on the film. Despite his efforts to make it more lighthearted, generally the movie was considered too scary. What? See, okay. (laughs) Actual Mexican film critics, uh, you know, he said uh said the movie was like disturbing and upsetting and like it was too scary and that like you know that that sort of entertainment wasn't befitting the you know mexican cinema and whatever and so like i think that's hilarious i think that's really okay funny.
1: i i want to i want to rewind a little bit and talk about this this director because i i, I I didn't know that he had said that, but I kind of appreciate that from a critical point of view about the, the idea of a horror film being too scary and it being too much of where it's so frightening that it kind of takes away the enjoyment of the consumption of the film, because I don't think that happens to you very much. Like that's kind of what I admire. That's kind of what I admire about you is that you can watch any movie and just be like, wow, that was, that was, i here's what I liked about that movie. Whereas I, um, I can't do that. And if you've ever watched a movie with me, you know, that's it's uh, it's I'm insufferable to watch horror films with. But I've long maintained that the best horror films are the ones that kind of hit that sweet spot for me, where it's like it's almost too much for me to handle. Um, But there have been films I've watched where I've been like, yeah, I can't that that was that was too much. I can't. And contrary to popular belief, they're not all about alien abductions. Um, (laughs) But. No, I I, I can I can kind of uh, I can kind of dig on what that guy's saying uh, that that I mean, granted, I don't think there was any circumstance in which this film would have been too scary. Uh, well,
0: and, and that's what I think is so funny, because to me, uh, when I was watching it, and I watched the interview after I watched the movie, when I was watching the movie, it felt just like a fun horror movie. And this is 1988. You know what I mean like yeah. slasher films have permeated the culture now had they not quite permeated Mexico maybe I don't know what the censorship laws were like um when of movies coming over the border but I do know that at this compared to other films leading up to this point in the decade this movie is no more intense it's certainly not more bloody than other uh slasher films but I don't even think it's more intense and I do think there's some effective moments I actually think the makeup on his possessed friend is pretty effective considering how low the budget is of this movie. I, that dude looks fucked up.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I was actually gonna say, um, it looks, it looks like uh, an end stage deadite from the first Evil Dead film in a good way. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> what? A, what? I, I want to know the crit when the when when a Mexican film critic went and saw this movie and he was like, well. I was enjoying the film, but then a hand reached out of the ceiling, and I just couldn't bear to watch it anymore. Like, what fucking part of this movie was so unbearable that it took these people out of the moment. I don't moment. know.
0: I don't know. Maybe we'll have to try to see if we can find some old reviews. But, I mean, there was some imagery like that, though. Like, I loved the hand coming out of the ceiling. I thought it was no, great. yeah. I thought some it was – I... Some of the kills I thought were really great. Like, when the dude puts his head out the window and the knife comes up through his mouth. I thought that yes. was really well done. Especially considering this movie doesn't have a ton of gore. So the couple of times there are sort of kills like that, I thought, oh, okay, that's pretty effective. Um, but But it is a goofy movie. Like, yeah. It doesn't – I didn't feel a sense of menace at any point. And even the parts where he's kind of taunting them. Um, the the So basically, not only does this – our main character, who is supposed to be a teenager but acts like a child, um, except for when he fucks. He fucks, but – Oh, he fucks.
1: It, John Michael Bischoff fucks in this movie. Leon. Yeah.
0: I mean, he's supposed to be an older teenager. And the and the and the pajamas are only meant to represent that he's still kind of innocent, which is oh, ridiculous.
1: Also, uh not to interject, because you're gonna I know you're gonna have some like insight on this. Um John Michael Bischoff, you cannot dissuade me the fact that he was at least 30. He was at least my age when this movie was made. Um and that I love the scene when when he does fuck, and that girl's like, that was my first, and he just shuts her up. He's like, shh. And I was like, oh, she was a virgin like I am now.
0: I appreciate that. <laughs> I mean, I think you're right. He probably is pretty old. I, everyone is old. I mean, it's 1988. Like that tends to be the vibe of these films is that they're actually old people. Unless we're talking about uh, Sleepaway Camp, but um, <laughs> which is just children cursing. I don't like it. Yeah, that <laughs> <laughs> I love I love that. But it's ridiculous. Anyways, um, but so, uh, you know, he has a birthday, they use a Ouija board, though his friend wants to talk to, I forget the name, Vince or some shit, Uh it's Virgil. The devil, Virgil. And it's actually like the devil or a demon or whatever. Yeah, you know um,
1: Virgil, the common misnomer for the devil. That's one of his gnome
0: plumes. I don't fucking know. Uh, and so um, basically, uh, our main character starts having visions of someone killing, and it's eventually revealed that his friend has become possessed. And is murdering people, uh, and you're right. It, it's kind of a smash up of a supernatural and a slasher. Um, and again, this is you know all I have is this interview with this director years later. But I think the idea started with the Ouija board, and I think the aspects of the film that are kind of slasher slash sl- slasher slash slasher or reminiscent of a giallo are just sort of his style you know what i mean like and the probably the influence of the slasher on this whole genre at this time but the you know the 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 sort of uh uh, generation of the film is what if he made a spooky ouija board movie that's that, that that's the idea that's that's the sort of the the opening volley here now how that developed i'm not sure but i kind of agree with you that like other than certain aspects, like some of the dreamlike stuff, like with, like I said, the arm coming through the ceiling and stuff, some of that stuff is pretty effective. But um, when the possessed friend is just stalking people, just like a murderer, you know, and you know, you know, eventually, you know, he has supernatural powers as well. But a lot of the movie, we just get sort of a POV of him, like, hunting someone. That stuff is actually some of the most effective actual horror elements of the movie. And I kind of wish there, like you said, there was more of that. Only because when we finally get him, like, harassing them and being magical, it's, like, not scary at all. It's, like, not... It's fine. I it didn't ruin the movie for me. In fact, I kind of had fun with how not scary it was like I kind of that I, I kind of moved from laughing with it to laughing at it a little bit um, but it, it just is it, it doesn't feel like a great fit for the other parts of the movie uh,
1: I was actually going to say um, one of the moments in the film that actually struck me as extremely effective and kind of when I put myself in that situation I was kind of like oh man, that would suck a lot was when he can see himself through the killer's eyes. Oh yeah. Like, I don't know why, but that's like, I, that, that like touched something with me where I was like, Oh my God, that would be like the idea of right. Re- the idea of realizing that someone is coming up, like creeping up on you and closing in on you and you can't see them, but you can see what they see and they can fucking see you. There's something that's um, like primitively terrifying about that. And like a predator prey, kind
0: of way i mean I, I agree with that i think there it, it kind of taps into something very uncomfortable i mean this is also a movie though where a dude kidnaps our uh protagonist from his house because he's been knocked out on sleeping meds yes and so he just like pulls them out the window or something it's it it's i Liam, think he was injected with sleeping meds he wasn't right, knocked down. right right <laughs> But you know what I'm saying? Like, like I don't want people to think like because we're highlighting some some effective moments. This is a ridiculous movie. But it's,
1: it's like, yeah. I, I, again, I I I've we kind of glossed over it. But like, I hated this movie when I watched it the first time. I actively detested this film the first time I watched it. It was it, not knowing what to expect. Um, made this movie a very hard pill to swallow. It was only when going back and being like, okay, let me tone down the asshole part of my nature that I can't fucking stand and watch this movie as a normal human being. And then I was like, okay, it actually wasn't wasn't the worst movie I've seen.
0: I think it would be a fun, like, horathon slash drive in movie. Like it's not a movie that like is gripping, but it's like for me at least, it felt entertaining. I wasn't fucking bored. No. Um, I I, I will say it, it starts a little slow. Some of the birthday stuff is a little whack. And it, it's, you know, the beginning of the movie is very much relying on this dialogue, which it's really clear is not great dialogue. And um, you know, the 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 director made a big deal about our main character helping him like rewrite some of the dialogue, and I'm like, man, they could have used another pass, buddy. Like it's not it's not super strong. But as soon as the actual horror starts. I was entertained the whole time, but it's not, you know, it's 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 not one of these films that I'm going to be thinking about. Like I mean, i am definitely watch it again because I have the Blu-ray, so I got to justify the the expense. But um, <laughs> But it's not like a it's not like a get under your skin movie. There's no like insight there. But it is pretty fun. And I maybe because it's so fun, the couple of moments that were kind of spooky, I was kinda surprised by, like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. You know? And and in fact, I, I kinda wondered if there had been more um a more uh hunting Giallo POV type stuff, if that would have made the movie um, a little more effective as a horror film or more weird nightmare stuff. Like, you know, um, uh, I don't know, visions, like the hand coming out of the ceiling, stuff like that. Like if there had been more of that kind of, uh, reality bending stuff, if the film would have worked more, but I, I don't know if it would have worked more for this narrative. It just, I'm just thinking about the things that the director seems to be good at, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I got you. Um, um, I love the fact that this, like, the, the surprise party they have for him, or whatever it is, the like, how ha- it opens up at like a birthday party, his 17th birthday party. And then, like, after everyone leaves, more people show up. And that's when they do like the Ouija board shit. And I, I don't know if Ruben Gayendo has ever been to a party before in his life.
0: <laughs> I mean,. Uh, straight up this could be a cultural thing. I have no idea. Like that that was one of those moments where I'm like, Is this what happens in Mexico? That you you have a fake yeah. party for your parents and then your mom goes to sleep and everyone shows up with booze and a Ouija point. It's like literally his mom's like, All right, well that was a fun party. I guess we'll go to bed now. And then all of his friends sneak into his house and are like, Is your mom asleep? Because we got the booze,
1: buddy. But, but if you notice someone is leaving the house like all shit faced in the very beginning after the first yeah,
0: part. That's true. I don't understand that. I don't know. Maybe it's it was... not, it's not for us to
1: understand Liam. <laughs> it's us for just for us to, to watch and experience.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is definitely one I would only recommend for folks who want, who, who are into something a little bit weird and a little bit fun. Um, if you are looking for something to, to get under your skin, this is not it. And, not all of the movie makes sense. There are just parts where you're like, I'm not sure why this is happening. Um, <laughs> why is that girl hiding behind the
1: couch like a fucking mouse when everyone else is walking around? I just don't understand why.
0: I don't know. I also thought the dinner scene was one of the more psychotic in the film. That was fucking insane. The, the dinner scene when he shows up at her house? Yeah. Oh, my God. There's this. So after things have basically hit the fan and he's like escaping for his life, he shows up at his girlfriend's house, who is like, I guess her father is someone important and he's having like international diplomats over for dinner he fucking
1: said, hello senator this is my daughter like what and the fuck
0: this dude shows up and he's like covered in dirt and he's freaking out and they're just like sit down and have dinner oh my god it's great and then he just takes her he's like no we gotta go after he's he also, fires a gun a bunch of times he's also is he wearing the pajamas
1: at that point still
0: i don't think so i think he just has a dirty shirt on okay
1: yeah also we forgot to mention how at for like a a glorious five minutes. This movie is like a shitty 80s cop movie where they get like guns right. and they're like, let's fucking do Like, I got hyped as fuck the second time I watched this.
0: It's true. They're literally like, we're going to go in there. We're going to blow this dude away, which I mean this is his friend, right? Yeah. His, his friend is possessed and they're like, we're going to go blow him away. I guess we should idea, kill him. Yeah, I guess the idea is like at least his friend would be free then like not to burn in hell or something. But the guns are not helpful, because he's supernatural, so, you know. Yeah,
1: like, if if you told me, uh, I got some bad news, I think Josh is possessed, literally the last thing I would think of
0: is, we should go kill him. Let's get some guns and, like, Let's get blow some... him away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. It's fun. It's a fun movie. I wish, yeah. you know, there's not much more to say about it. Um, I, you know... It, it's it's interesting because it's something that like I had never heard. You know, there's a lot of horror movies that maybe I haven't gotten to see, but I've seen a trailer or I've seen the video or whatever. This was a completely unknown movie to me, and that in and of itself is a bit of a joy. But uh, but there's not a lot to it other than weird dinosaur pajamas, possessed friend. You know some effective scenes here and there, but mostly just you know it's it's an entertaining low budget film. This was shot over six weeks for three hundred thousand dollars, so it's certainly not a Hollywood production.
1: Yeah, and guys, I got some bad news. Um, the pajamas at Vinegar Syndrome are they're gone. They're sold out.
0: Yeah, I figured they were. Cause, yeah, I was. Um,
1: looks like I have to go to my mom and dad's house and fruit up my old pair. So that is uh, 1988's Don't Panic. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and we come back, we're going to talk about 19, also 1988's Dream Demon, which is not a Nightmare on Elm Street film. We'll be right back.
0: To sleep, perchance to dream. <gasps> but she could never sleep. She was afraid to sleep. Still, the dreams haunted her, terrified her. This was our last known address. They uh, died here. Two young women who share a shattering reality, but quite different nightmares. Who lived here before you? Hello, (laughs) dogmates. I think I'm from here. just have to give me what I want. One on the brink of marriage. The other, trapped in the deadly shadow of the past. A dream from which there is no escape. But if I'm still asleep, and this is a dream, then for God's sake, wake me up. Mm I know, I have the pleasure. Leave me alone! Diana! There's this little girl here. I, I don't know if she's real or not. I don't know if she's dead or not. To women at the mercy of the
1: demon in their dreams. I'm awake. Dream demon. And we are, we're back to talk about 1988's British horror film. Written and directed by, or co-written and directed by Harley Koklis. And starring Gemma Redgrave in her debut role, Opposite Kathleen Wilholt, Jimmy Nail, Susan Fleetwood, and in one of the most stomach-turning roles I have ever seen in any film ever, Timothy Spall. Uh, this is just a weird movie about this girl. You know, she's a girl in England, and she's she's having these like weird nightmares where her colonizer shit heel of a fucking fiance, um, who should have been murdered in the Falkland War. Um, he is like doing all this like terrifying things to her. Uh, and she's approached by a young woman who tells her like, Oh, I used to live in your house and some bad shit went down and they have these like crazy adventures. Um, Liam, the one thing I want to talk about is you had said that apparently there is a school of thought that doesn't consider this a horror film. Let's talk about that.
0: I I didn't say, I didn't say there definitely was, I was saying that this is that sort of movie that um, some folks wouldn't consider a horror film. And I don't understand that viewpoint, but we've encountered it before where movies that we would not hesitate to put on this podcast, other people are like, well, it's more of a more of a fantastical drama or a dark fantasy film or a blah." blah you know what I mean? And uh, yeah. this movie is, in a very good way, super fucked up. Yeah, it is, I will say, you know, these are two movies from 1988. uh don't panic, not in a bad way, but it 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 feels like an older film because of the budget and the whatever. Um, in some ways, this movie feels very much a 1988 British horror film. like it it just it it feels very of a time um and I, and I think in a very good way. Uh, but you know there's there's a ghost sure there's like a supernatural aspect to what's happening here but there's a lot of like abstract imagery there's a lot of dream sequences there's a lot of like and and to be quite fair it is a very uh female centric film uh, when it comes to our characters and as we know a lot of horror fans are you know shitty dudes who i think you know they the there's no guy with a hatchet so they're not going to be stoked fair enough but it's, you know, it's an upset. I mean, it's so clear that whatever is happening here, as it gets more and more dramatic and more and more haunting, this is a film full of terror, you know, like that is a horrifying film. And it, I, I'm not saying it's um, perhaps too too scary even for a, a Mexican critic, but uh, <laughs> but it, it, it certainly is upsetting. And I think it did at times at least give me a bit of anxiety, you know, in the the best possible way.
1: Yeah, I I don't know if it's just the fact that it's like British and it involves like sort of like surreal landscapes, but it kind of gave me like a low-key Hellraiser vibe at times. Like Mm -hmm. it almost felt like it was just right there to where it could be a Clive Barker short story. Like if... If if, it had more cum in it. Well, I was going to say if like at one point like they ate cum and did like a fucking sex magic ritual or it turned out that like they had to enlist the help of a dead detective to help them get to the bottom of this. Or if maybe um, they were uh, aided by a talking cat uh, named, sure. like, named Mahogany or something like that, um, then this would be like in full-blown Clive Barker territory. Alas, there are no talking cats. Nobody eats cum, although Timothy Spall might as well. And we are – Still left with this is a like a vaguely unsettling movie. Um the the, the thing that, that struck me about it was that we have two layers of, of 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 two different threads of horror in this film, two sources. The main character is having these these fucking unsettling nightmares, and then like the secondary protagonist, um played by uh Kathleen Wilhoyt of Fire in the Sky fame, uh She's also struggling with these like repressed memories of having grown up in this house and, and what happened to to her parents, which I think is like, like super interesting for a movie that isn't like big budget or like high art or whatever. Right. I like the fact that they did that is that they, they, there was also like an equally valid source of horror in this film that was completely removed from the protagonist of the movie. I just thought that was, like, a, a, like an interesting choice.
0: I agree, and I like that it, it it's playing with some audience expectations. It's playing a little bit with some religious imagery, but it's really playing with the idea of dreams and dream logic and nightmares. And, um, again, I guess if that, quote-unquote, isn't real, that might not be effective for people. But I, I just found it... Very well done. I, I don't know. It feels very mature. It feels like a yes. very mature horror film, um, and it it almost has a bit of a fairy tale quality to it in in the way that it wraps up and and yeah. whatever. Um, and I liked. It feels like in the ways that it's dealing with family and relationships and anxieties about relationships and uh, especially with her fiance being such a, you know, a fucking prick and how that's sort of connected to fame and paparazzi and class, I would argue as well. Um, There's just a lot kind of going on under the surface that's fueling all this. Uh, uh you know there's there's a lot of subtext that's fueling the text and making the text like a lot richer and a lot more interesting and I, and I just found that really satisfying and again this is a blind pick I knew nothing about this going in and I was so satisfied with what we we sort of found here you know
1: yeah i mean it, it has a very stupid name yeah. um because there i to the, unless i missed it i don't think there's an actual demon no um I don't know. There was just something about this movie that, that, that just worked wonders in the sense that it it kept escalating this, this, this feeling of, 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 of quiet and subdued dread, uh, through the use of like strange, surreal imagery in the dreams. And I don't mean surreal, like David Lynch, surreal, but surreal in the way that like dreams often are like, right. It would be a familiar house, but just way bigger or, uh, just like little things like that that I thought were like super effective, and i you know again, this is like this is like a this has nothing to do with with, with whether or not it's a horror movie or, or whether or not it's like a it's you know whatever this is a complete side note, but I also appreciate the fact that this is a British movie in which one of the characters is a war hero in the falkland Falklands war, and another character is like. Oh yeah, you're just a murderer. Like you killed all those like innocent people in the Falklands. Like yeah. that's what you're yeah. famous for. Uh it's a small thing, but I really appreciate that there was a British film that acknowledged that. I thought, especially yeah. in 1988, I th- I thought that was I thought that was really really cool.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, it it feels very relevant to its time. It feels very insightful. It you know you wouldn't go so far as to say it's a political film, but it's at least no. a very knowledgeable about where it's at. You know what I mean? Like sometimes yeah. horror movies feel like they're in an ether and there's no context. And this movie has context, but none of that context is alienating. I don't think anyone watching this movie would say, well it's too British or it's too you know whatever. Like I think it's it's relatable. Uh and and part of that I had to say is the performances. I thought including the the dickhead British guy or they're all British but you know the dickhead soldier guy. I thought all the performances were really impressive. Just, yes. Really sold you. And and especially not every moment on the film can rely on special effects. You know what I mean? Like, I I get the feeling that there's things that have to be sold more by the performances than by, you know, uh, goo or, you know, there's not really any computer stuff going on at the time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah they are able to do that. Like they're able to carry the narrative when you can't rely on an effects guy to make it work.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was, I think the only effects really were the sort of um, the practical makeup effects of these people decaying, which was gross is like very Peter Jackson. Um, and then there was the one nightmare sequence where the guy in flames runs at the, at the, at the little girl. I don't know what it was about that, but that was so simple but super unsettling and super effective.
0: There was something visceral about it that feels like you can understand how terrified she is and how terrified you would be. You know what I mean? Oh my God. Yeah. And, um, it just, it felt like a nightmare image only. It also felt like it was real, you yeah. know? And that's, that's an interesting combination. I, I, <clears throat> I don't know this, 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 <sighs> There's a sense to it where I wonder if for some audience people they might feel like this is more – this this might feel more like a very effective episode of TV. You know, like this is a very – as opposed to being super cinematic just because it's so um, – bound within this flat like a lot of the movie happens in this you know the in the flat itself in the hallway in the basement you know what I mean and and, and so maybe that will feel constrained to people uh but I, I you know even as I was thinking that like oh this could maybe be a, a an episodic or uh or a you know uh anthology show or something like that it's still like so effective I don't really care you know what I mean like yeah I, I think it would still be fun in a theater, um, and I just think, unlike a lot of horror films, this is a movie that I think excels in the writing. Like the writing is part of what makes it work, and th- it, that's a little surprising because that's not what I'm used to dealing with in horror. Often, in some of the horror we talk about, things are effective in spite of the script. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, and and that's not this movie.
1: Yeah, uh, it. There's, there's, there's not really. I don't think there's any, any, anything else I can really say about it. Uh. Oh. Um, this goes back to earlier what I was saying. This isn't any like great reveal. The music in this movie is perfect.
0: Yep. Perfect. I agree. Perfect.
1: Perfect. It further heightens the kind of like Hellraiser cinematic feel, but it's got this like grand sweeping but slightly ominous feel to it. That just really keeps you like in, in it, it it really keeps you in the atmosphere that this movie seeks to create, which is one of like weird, surreal, fantastic horror. Um, that I think the movie more, more than, uh, more than excels at.
0: Yeah. I, 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 you know, I, I think people who are, uh, as hardened and jaded as I am will not be, Too afraid of this film, but I don't think that that makes it less effective. And in fact, there's just something like mm, psycho. There's something visceral that I want to describe as psychological or Freudian or something. There's something essential that feels very smart about the film, even as it has ridiculous moments. Like it's not like every part of the film is sophisticated. Like there's there are gooey, gross things. You know, yeah, there are like. You know, maybe not cheap, but there are some some very sort of uh, uh, on the surface scares, but just the stuff that it's thinking about related to memory and your past and all that. Um, I, I guess if if there's anything sort of negative to say, it might be that like uh, maybe the mystery feels a little obvious for people. So if you're focused on like figuring it out you might be able to figure it out, but I don't think that's what the, the movie isn't really a mystery, right? It's, it's, it's one of those films where at least for me, the sense I had where I knew what was going to happen before the characters did, didn't make me feel smart. It gave me a sense of foreboding, like, Oh God, I think I know where this is going. And that, that heightened the level of anxiety that the movie was giving me in a very effective, like well done way. Yeah, I can, I can get down with that. So, you're right, though that one performance is so grass. He's so grass in this movie. Oh God, he's disgusting. <laughs>
1: and I like that guy. Uh, I had to like Google what else he was in, and I he was uh,
0: he was in the Tom Cruise epic, The Last Samurai, which I liked him. In. Sure, sure. I believe he's also in the Harry Potter movies. I
1: have never seen an Harry Potter movie.
0: Uh, I definitely before we found out J.K. Rowling was a turf. Uh, yeah, I saw all those movies because I read the books. And unfortunately, the movies, not, none of them are as good as the books. I don't know why I watch the movies. They're all bad. Jeez, that went downhill fast. I mean, I'm just I'm just saying, like, I was going to be like, well, yeah, as much as J.K. Rowling sucks, at least the movies were good. And I'm like, wait, no, they weren't. Like, number three is pretty good. And that's it. I mean, whatever. People like him. I don't. Uh, but he's in them. I forget his role, though. I think he looks like a rat or something. There's something wrong oh, there yeah. in it. Not just because okay. he always looks like a rat. Like I think he looks like, like he's been turned into some sort of rat or something. Interesting. Yeah. I don't remember exactly. Okay. Well, that's... That's my, that's my review of the Harry Potter movies. I don't remember exactly. The third one's okay. He looks like a rat. The whole thing with the elves sucks because they're like basically slaves. And all the bankers look like Jewish stereotypes. So, you know, fuck that.
1: There you go. All right, that's 1988 Dream Demon, and that means we have approached the end of the episode, and that makes me very sad. But fear not, despair not. Our next episode is our hundredth episode, and we have something very cool planned for you guys. Um, we're gonna be talking. We're gonna be talking about a movie that I have wanted to talk about for fucking the entire life of this podcast, um, and we're gonna have a few cool people on here. So uh, until next time, remember to go to iTunes and to rate, review, subscribe. Um, Head to CinePunks.com for more episodes of this podcast and a bunch of other fucking great podcasts. Um, If you want to be a patron, head to Patreon.com backslash CinePunks. Be sure to check out our sponsors, uh, Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations and Essex Coffee Roasters. You know, promo code all caps CinePunks for Essex Coffee Roasters. And uh, yeah, until next time. Matt Gates is a child trafficker, yeah, definitely.
0: Each episode will share three stories about all the weird things they tell you not to believe.
1: Weird, obscure, and possibly unsafe. Available anywhere
0: you get your podcasts!
1: Hey.